With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, welcome back. This is Jim Dudley. Jim, um, as we sit and record this podcast, only a couple of weeks ago here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we had, I don't know if it was the 10th or so in a row, um, Urban Shield exercise. And Urban Shield is, in my way of looking at the world, one of the most comprehensive, um, most well-thought-out best planned um, training exercises for police, fire, paramedics. They're even involving now um, uh, hospital staff mm -hmm. in, in, in order to respond to um, a whole host of types of scenarios from terrorism to natural disasters. And it gets a lot of attention in the media, particularly locally here, um, that it, it is, it's, it's criticized on the left, if you will, that it's militarizing police, but it's right. actually really about making sure that people in the area and the teams that come from Boston and Dallas and Israel and Jordan and Argentina and all these places, that they're preparing themselves for the worst of the worst to help ensure the safety of the public. So. You know, I know that you've attended it. You know, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, we've observed these scenarios. What's your impression on, first off, the criticism, and then maybe more importantly, the importance of the exercise itself for the first responders who participate? Sure. Well, leading off with the criticism, uh, it's understandable from the groups that want to condemn uh, the police for uh, anything resembling a military response to um, what they would see as a, a civil protest or a demonstration or things like that. But certainly we both know that the value in the urban shield exercises is in the critical incidents, the mitigation of incidents where you have to have gone through some training, you have to run through the exercises uh, with some of these things that they encounter that uh, it's, it's out of the ordinary, it's high risk, but low frequency, it's, it's a hostage negotiation, it is a terrorist event, it is a hazardous material release, and yet yeah, you've got the naysayers saying, we don't want the police showing up with helmets and riot gear and plastic shields, and the term that I, I can't stand when I hear them is, is the, the tank, the, the tank that I've never seen any agency ever possess. Of course, they're talking about an MRAP, uh, a mine-resistant uh, uh, personnel carrier that can be so valuable. Or Bearcat, you know the you know the, the private enterprise right. types. Yeah, of to get to get the um, uh, personnel in and out of a hot zone, live fire zone, uh, to rescue people from uh, an active shooter situation, um, an area maybe where we don't know where the shooter is, so valuable. We haven't seen it a ton of times, but we've seen it enough to know that we can't have officers going under live fire in a radio car, backing through a parking lot, 
hoping that they don't get shot during a rescue maneuver, that, that these military-style vehicles are so valuable in saving lives. And one of the things that really kind of irritates me about the criticism of Urban Shield is that it's, quote, a SWAT show. Right. It's a SWAT event. It's not. It's about all first responders, fire, EMS, paramedics, and hospital staff figuring out ways in which they can work together in a whole variety of types of scenarios. Mm -hmm. it, it tests people in a way that it's, first off, it's a competitive event. Um, now, the SWAT teams do compete for, you know, quote, a trophy or a, or a prize or, a, you know, the first place uh, points. But it's competitive even from the fire and EMS standpoint. You want to be the best team out there. Right. And it, I think that that competitive spirit creates, um, well, it always, competition always creates the best in people. And it, it makes the event really more about collaboration mm -hmm. and, and coming together. It's often said you don't want to have the first time you hand someone a business card be the time it's at a critical incident. Right. You want to have that person, that relationship, that contact far in advance of that. And that's one of the things that's really cool about Urban Shield is that all of the Bay Area it, it participates in it. And so you have people in the planning stage. Years and years ago, I, I, I helped plan Urban Shield. Mm -hmm. and Or I participated in the planning anyways. And you had people from Alameda County Sheriff's Office, from San Francisco Police Department, from uh, Pleasanton, from, you know, fill in the blank, all of the Bay Area agencies, all working together to just make the event happen. Right. And then you, you know, you torch it off and you have this three day, you know, insane period of no sleep, lots and lots of work. And it's just, that's, that's because that's what it's going to be like when the, the day comes. Yeah. It's going to be three days of no sleep and lots and lots of work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the difference between Urban Shield and, say, a best of the West type SWAT mm -hmm. uh, team um, decathlon is that the, the best of the West style SWAT team competition is just that. It's SWAT teams against each other, racing through obstacles, doing uh, drills with uh, jumping over walls, climbing ropes, uh, shooting targets, um, a, a test of endurance and accuracy and uh, your, your flexibility. Uh, with Urban Shield, you really do get uh, value in that you do training in, in real type scenarios in an urban environment with multi-disciplines there, agencies from Department of Public Health, the Fire Department, uh, the fire department's hazmat people. Um, you've got your your law enforcement agencies and your federal agencies is, is another layer. Mm -hmm. And so, in in so for for the the, the people out there not familiar with Urban Shield, uh, it it basically uh, comes from the urban area. Uh, security initiative, of which there are several throughout the United States, but in Northern California, our UAZI, if you will, um, uh, joints with the Alameda County Sheriff, who invites all comers, SWAT teams, to come participate in these uh, exercises. Uh, they set up a number of, of different scenarios based on the number of teams that enter. So if you have 36 teams, you have 36 scenarios. There's a round robin where they have a uh, specific timeline to complete the task, the mission, the objective, and then move on to the next. And it happens for, I, I think, 
it's 48 straight hours. 48 straight hours. Yeah. And Starts you, on Friday night at midnight and it ends on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. 72, but 48 yeah. sounds sounds right. And you've got a fresh driver taking you from <clears throat> scene to scene so you can rest along the way. But the, the different scenarios can range from uh, an active shooter, a barricaded suspect, uh, an unknown situation, a hazmat uh, situation, an EOD or a explosive ordnance disposal type situation. And you brief uh, the team as they show up and they come up with a plan and then they act on it. And it's it's awesome watching these these groups go through. It's the, the different types of training um, brings about different strategies. We've seen uh, state, federal, and local agencies participate. Like you said, Israel, Saudi Arabia, I saw one time, the FBI, um, LA, San Francisco, a lot of diverse agencies, federal agencies, uh, different sets of rules and engagement, but they've essentially got to go with uh, the same information and, and uh, take it to its conclusion. And that's how they get the points. Uh, and you're, you're running these people through situations that they're all unique um, in and of themselves, but they're the same to each group that runs through them. So it's, it's not like one, one group's getting a different scenario or an easier scenario than the next. Um, but you get points based on sticking to the rules of engagement in uh, a reduction or elimination of uh, collateral damage and, and of obtaining your objective, whether that's uh, freeing hostages or securing an arrest or eliminating the threat. Yeah. So there's two ways in which I've, I've gone through Urban Shield, and I think that they're both equally valuable and equally educational. The first is to follow a team, latch onto one team. I don't ride in their van. I ride in my car behind them. And I go and see what they do for four or five or six scenarios at a stretch. And the other one is to squat on a scenario, sit in one location and watch the teams come through and see how differently they do things. The Israelis are way different from the FBI in terms of the way in which they do some of their stuff. Um, watching SFPD, watching Pleasanton PD, watching uh, Fremont, and watching the fire department from Fremont. Those guys are awesome. And seeing how they do it, it they come through, they do their thing, and then they leave, see someone else. It's fascinating to me. And one of the things I think also that I want to make sure that we cover here is that the the debriefs after a scenario these the, the trainers the instructors the, the the judges if you will they're former seals they're you know uh, ex blackwater guys they're from the fbi they're from all all different kinds of walks bringing to the table a lot of different training capabilities and they will talk to the team after the scenario and say here's what went well and here's what you can improve here's how you can make this scenario have gone better right it's fascinating fascinating training and it's real time it's super real i mean they there are th literally thousands of volunteers from around the bay area who come to a scenario get dressed up in blood pretend like they're injured mm -hmm. and and, it, and it, so it, it actually involves a lot of citizens as well yeah and those citizens then get the opportunity to see firsthand for 12 hours you have to volunteer for 12 full hours all of these teams come through and see what they would do to help 
save you in a situation. If, yeah. if you are hostage or if you are injured in a terrorist attack, it's it it has so much more value than the critics, you know, who just say it's just all about militarization and the right. 1033 program and MRAPs. It's right. not. No, and I think it's I think it would be impractical to run individuals through outside of law enforcement, citizens, academies, or community people. But uh, Frank Somerville from a local station, yep. KTVU, did a great piece. Uh, you could probably download it from the KTVU website or through YouTube. Through his Facebook. He's got it on his Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, and uh, he really shows from the ground level how these things develop. And I think the more the public sees that, the, the, the more they will realize the value. I think going back to the criticism, to the critics who say, do not do Urban Shield at First Amendment activities, I think they're right. I think the, the sour taste in the mouth of the public came from the Ferguson demonstrations and seeing uh, camouflaged vehicles, armored vehicles, uh, a Bearcat, seeing officers in camouflaged gear atop vehicles um, with sniper rifles. I understand that the sniper rifles were there in order to uh, counter reports of uh, shots fired from crowds mm -hmm. so that there was a necessity for it, but maybe the presentation was wrong. Um, wrong from the eyes of the public. So I wrote an article a few years ago on our, the Police One website, and I, I mentioned that I don't think that we should ever wear camouflage unless we're in an outdoor environment where we're raiding a marijuana camp or a, some other fortified camp. Um, but in an urban environment, I think we should let the public know it's the police. It's not a military presence. And I think at a First Amendment um uh, demonstration uh, activity that we shouldn't be uh, out there in military force in camo gear or with the armored vehicle that um, BDUs are fine, but they, they should clearly be marked police. And, and I think it's a good idea that we don't use the military in, in civil dis disturbances. Uh, we've seen mayors and governors ask for um, the, the National Guard, but things have really got to get bad uh, to get to that point. Yeah. Well, it is a fascinating topic. Um, we could get probably deeper into the weeds on the 1033 program. Maybe we should do a whole show on that. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the way in which, you know, this, this whole issue is kind of going is uh, you know, police officers and all first responders need to have the protection of some of the types of things like, for example, body armor. Mm -hmm. Armored vehicles make sense. Long uh, rifles. Long rifles, exactly. I mean, no, I mean, it's made the difference in departments, smaller departments that can't afford this kind of equipment, and even larger departments like Chicago and San Francisco who would never have a Marine unit uh, without the, the supplement from the government. And so since 2015, when uh, then-President Obama... Uh, declared uh, no more equipment released from the 1033 program. Um, as of this broadcast, we are very close to hearing about uh, a reinstitution of the 1033 program to get the, uh, some really needed equipment. As it should be. As it should departments. be. Yeah, I mean, and as you mentioned, that there there would be no marine program here in San Francisco if it weren't for the 1033 program, and places like. Boston, Chicago, uh, just think of Florida right now, where you have to have boats 
literally, or in, in Houston, you have to have boats to rescue people. Right. You, those boats, they don't just materialize out of thin air unless it's you're talking about the what are the what are they called the, uh, the Dunkirk the, the, the what's it, the Redneck Navy or something like that the Louisiana Navy those volunteers who kind of charged into Houston from all over right, the right. South yeah um, it's not like we we can get you the, can't, the Dunkirk. Uh, conscripts and force them into a situation no, where they're no, you can't. People. You have to have the ability to, you know, this this equipment that's coming from the military is perfectly serviceable. It's paid for already. It's it, otherwise it would go to a boneyard. It would go to a scrap heap. It would go to a, the trash. What, People who want to recycle and reuse should want to do this stuff. Like, like that's what you would want to do. You don't want to throw this stuff out. You want to recycle and reuse it, right? It's it's crazy. So um, we could go on and on. I we do need to to kind of. T- uh, turn this one off here but um we want to hear your thoughts we want to hear your thoughts about if you've been to urban shield if you uh, have participated in urban shield if you want to go to urban shield or if you have thoughts and opinions about the 1033 program and its reinstitution which i think is inevitable and and perfectly yeah and i'd love to hear from an agency where there are still no issued vests and clearly there would be a need for uh, government uh, equipment like uh, bullet-resistant vests or body armor. Yeah. Once again, it's policing matters at policeone.com. That's the email, policingmatters at policeone.com. Thanks again for listening.